Welcome to the Stewardship Matters podcast of William F. Robertson and Associates, where we explore where your faith and your finances intersect. As financial planners, we understand the importance of money. As Christians, we believe God has more for us. Please join your host, Richard Truitt, as we continue on this journey together. Uh, this is Richard Truitt. I have the honor of being here today with uh, Leo Sabo. <clears throat> Leo is a uh, pastor at uh, Gateway Church in the Stewardship uh, Ministries area. And um, Leo was just telling me that we initially met, I guess, nine years ago. I can't believe I'm that old. But um, I can't believe Leo is that old either. But uh, they're doing some – I've always had done some great things at Gateway and, and – uh, uh, in, in the stewardship area. And Leo, why don't you maybe, can before we start, maybe tell a little bit about how you got involved in the stewardship ministry area and you know some of the things that, that Getway is doing now. Yeah, so, um, gosh, probably about 14 years ago, um, I had, my wife and I really started our journey about 21 years ago. Uh, financially, we made a lot of mistakes early in our marriage. And about six years into our marriage, we we had racked up about as much debt as young people should ever be allowed to do and uh, just made a lot of financial mistakes like most young people do and got ourselves in a pretty pretty big uh, debt compared, compared, of course, relative to that day and uh, realized that we were doing things our way. Uh, the Lord began to use actually Larry Burkett through uh, the Money Matters program. As I was driving back and forth to work, I would listen to it every day and Lord began to teach me, uh, you know, managing money God's way uh, through Larry and his counsel that he was given to people as they were calling in. And uh, so we got on a budget. We called the ministry at the time. It was Christian Financial Concepts, if you recall. Right. And we we got on the, you know, got on the phone with them, asked them to help us with budgeting, and they sent us a, a workbook, and we started working through it and putting a plan in place. And Really, that began the journey of stewardship for us. We we got our finances a little more aligned with uh, God's word and His wisdom, and then over time we started seeing the results of that. We grew margin. We paid off our home. We got completely debt free. Started teaching our kids how to manage money, and then in 2002, uh, the Lord really impressed on us that we needed to share what we had gained over the last seven years, um, both the experience, but also teaching them, you know, the important stuff, which is that God owns it. And we're just stewards of it. And we started doing that through Crown Small Groups and then eventually made our way to Gateway and uh, started really getting involved in the ministry, doing small group uh, training, and then eventually became a financial coach. And then I came on staff. Um, I was previously, my previous profession was as an aircraft mechanic. So what brought us to Texas was my job with American as a mechanic. And uh thought I was going to retire from there, to be honest. Uh, I really enjoyed that line of work. Uh, it suited my skills and my my bend toward gear, uh, you know, the gearhead that I am. And uh, uh, the Lord asked me in uh, 2006 uh, to step out of that and come into the ministry, and uh, he made it very clear it was him. And, uh, yeah, made that made that choice, stepped into it, and over the last nine and a half years I've had the amazing privilege of really just ministering to people and helping them to uh, learn God's way of managing money and find freedom both financial, but in so many other areas of life, as you know, stewardship affords. So that's the short version of it. It's just been uh, an amazing opportunity. Well, it is amazing coming from the, the aircraft mechanic industry and then and then now stewardship ministry. And, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, and I 
I can't keep up with all the stuff that Gateway's doing in the stewardship area. Is there anything of note recently? Well, uh, our church, you know, now we're at six campuses, so our, our biggest challenge right now is to try to have, uh, you know, an, an, an expression of stewardship on every campus. As you know, Pastor Robert Morris, our senior pastor, wrote The Blessed Life uh, back in 2002, 2003 is when it was released. And since then, um, you know, a, a large group of people that have connected with Gateway um, have been challenged in the area of generosity, but also along with that, of course, is his life message of stewardship. So generosity and stewardship are, are very strong. Um, it's a very strong message in his heart. It's his life message. And, of course, he supported building his stewardship ministry because the way he's always um, described it from the pulpit is that, that you have to teach and preach. So the teaching part is where you impart the burden to the people to, you know, to change their ways and, and line up with God's ways. But uh, I'm sorry, that's the preaching side. The teaching yeah, side is yeah. where you come alongside and equip them to do it. So it's one thing to, to preach and motivate people. It's another to teach and equip them. You've got to do both. Otherwise, people will just be frustrated when they know the truth, but they don't know how to actually right. live it out. And part of what we're trying to do here at Gateway is to do that. Uh, our, our pastor does a great job of preaching uh, the word in this area, but we come alongside his department and then equip and train people how to actually live that out. Um, so we do, you know, everything from classes to workshops. We implement some, you know, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University is a class that we still put on. Uh, we think it's a very useful tool for a lot of folks who have the desire to do it. They just need the nuts and bolts of it. Sure. And then we've developed some, some of our own curriculum. We run a workshop. Uh, uh, we used to do back in Back in Crown Days, when I used to just started really with uh, with stewardship, we used to do one-on-one coaching. If you remember, uh, it was the Money Map coaches. Right. And so I was a coach for many years, a referral coach, and doing that, and I love doing it. But I found it to be somewhat of a very difficult thing to do uh, ministry-wise because many people would start the journey but not finish the journey, and I felt like I was a failure because I could never quite finish, yes. uh, you know, with a couple all the way through to help them get on a plan and have a debt repayment and really see them experience some some wins it's hard. and uh so three and a half years into working at gateway and that was my role is basically raising up an army of financial coaches that could meet with people and at one time we had 55 active coaches meeting with people wow. at all hours of the day and night and weekends and uh but our success was still very low when we measured it we found out there was only about 10 to 15 percent were actually you know uh moving forward and, and experiencing some financial success in their lives and lining up with God's Word. And so we decided to actually scrap the one-on-one, if you can believe it, and uh, not do it in the same fashion. What we decided to do is do a group format. So now what we do is a class called Financial Hope, and it accomplishes the same thing, but it does it in a very different way. It's a group coaching where there's a teaching and an application, and it goes back and forth throughout the whole seven weeks. So when people walk away, they walk away with their own plan, uh, based on their finances, their tracking, their expenses, their income, uh, and also a, a debt repayment plan based on their actual numbers. So when they walk away from the class, they have the the basic tools and also That's the knowledge to, to live it out. And it's been a phenomenal success. Our success has always been over 70% and, and as high as 89%. Which, and we've been tracking it very closely um, as we're trying to make it better and better. So, so it's been a, a great success. really helps. Uh, it does. It does. I mean, uh, the social component is very huge to this journey. You need to have people yeah. to do it along with. So yeah, it is hard to talk about with other people, but it's amazing mm-hmm. what 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 that uh, the effect that that can have. Absolutely. That. Well, um, 
why don't we just start with these five questions? We'll see how far we got get on okay. these. And um, okay. again, they're nothing uh, uh, too special, I guess. But just be curious to see what your, your thoughts of them are. And the first question is, uh, what's what is one thing you can recommend to somebody who wants to structure their finances more in line with God's word? Hmm. So, um, you know, I think I would say that people need to know what God says about money. Um, you know, don't just listen to what other people say about money. Uh, you know, there are good people out there like Dave Ramsey and Howard Dayton that are championing this effort, but you really need to, it needs to be something that you do on your own. You've got to do the legwork. You, you need to know what you really believe and be able to defend it with God's word. Um, Larry Bickett used to say it this way, if you have a true conviction, then nobody can change your mind. So he used this example of uh, if, if he said, if I can talk you out of buying a brand new car because it's not financially a good decision for you and your family, then there's a you know, very crafty, very gifted uh, dealer out there, a car dealer, that will you know, talk you into it. But if you have a true conviction that you know that living below, beyond your means and taking on debt and without the, you know, a sure way of paying it uh, would violate your, your beliefs because you have that true conviction uh, from the Word of God, then, then you'd be secure. You'd make the right decision. So I would say... Again, people need to understand the Word of God. The Word of God is very clear on, on the issue of, of finances. There's a lot of scripture on every principle, everything from borrowing, debt, lending, signing, co-signing, all those things. The Word of God is very clear. So I would say people need to be educated and really study the Word of God because that's what we have to fall back on when we are faced again you know, with either a difficult situation or with surplus. If we understand God's Word, it'll keep us from making mistakes. That's neat. That I, I had not heard that quote from from Larry Burkett, so I, I, I can see how that would be uh, really impactful and really really great. Yeah. I guess that kind of segues into the next question. You know, besides the Bible, uh, yeah. is there a resource that has been helpful to you in your stewardship journey? Yeah, I mean, I have some some foundational teachings that I have. I, I continue to go back to. There are books that I go back to, um, and again, some of the names that you know have really been synonymous with stewardship and people that have really laid a foundation for us guys that are doing it now, uh, the ones that have wrote these books. And what I love about these books is that they're all based on the Word of God. And again, it goes back to the principles and, and how to take the Word of God and, and draw the wisdom from it so that you can practically live it out. So uh, one of those books is uh, Using Your Money Wisely by Larry Burkett. It's To me, it's one of the best books that he's ever written. And it's an interesting book because it's not necessarily a book that's it's more of a compilation of different articles that he had written um, about different topics like, uh, you know, contentment and uh, things like that, career, you know, those kind of things. And they're just uh, nuggets of wisdom that it's just so, so, so well done, so biblically based, and, uh, and I love that. So it's, it's, a, it's a book that, in my opinion, it's... Uh, uh, again, one of the one of the better ones. That's one Another of the one first is first ones I wrote. Yeah, or you read. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Another one is Your Money Counts uh, by Howard Dayton. I right. think it's a great read for getting someone started in managing money God's way, because it starts out and it's just very basic, but it covers it really covers all the basics. Yeah. And uh, as you know, that that book is was an introductory book to the the Crown ten uh, week study. Uh, but I really I, I that's a book that I hand out to people because it's an easy enough read. Uh, it's not theologically too hard to, to, to understand, and it really gets people thinking about the whole idea of ownership versus uh, uh, stewardship, you know, understanding that they're not, an, they're not a steward, I'm sorry, that they're a steward, but they're not an owner, 
And then, of course, it talks about giving and debt and tithing and all those kind of things. So yeah, it's a great, great book to get people started in. Um, another one, if you really want to go to the deep deep end of the pool, so to speak, uh, is uh, Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. The Bible. Um, that book has, that book has been a great Bible, but yes. Yeah, right. It's the Bible on stewardship pretty much. Uh, it's a great read because it causes you to think and decide what you really believe about money and possessions and how we as Christians are to view it and use money. And uh, it's challenging. There are some provocative and challenging perspectives that I think Randy uh, gives through that uh, through that book. But again, what I love about it is that it gives you the ability to uh, kind of go deep and really ha- it forces you to go to the Bible and say, wow, is that really true? And, and again, it brings that conviction of knowing the Word of God in this area so you can defend yeah. it. Uh, and then the last one I'll tell you, because I have a lot more, but I'll, I'll stop at four. Uh, the last one is uh, uh, one by uh, two gentlemen. One is uh, uh, Craig Hill and Earl Pitts, and it's called Wealth, Riches, and Money. And uh, I love that book because it's a very practical book, uh, and uh, it's, a ref- it's a refreshing perspective that ties stewardship to the heart You're of the believer. the first person I've heard reference that book besides um, – I, I didn't even know that was still in print, but uh... – it's harder and harder to find, just like some of Larry's stuff. But uh, but it's a great book because yeah. one of the one of the things that I've used out of that book consistently is the ten symptoms of Mammon's influence. Um, uh, he, they do such a great job in this book to line out the influences that Mammon has on people through money, and uh, so they have ten symptoms. One of them is I can't afford a mentality or. Uh, you know, always calculating your net worth, you know, that kind of thing. So wow. it really points to root issues that people have, and it's a it's a great, great book um, that really dives into the heart of the matter. Toward the back of the book, they've got some, like, practical forms and, you know, things like that, which are probably not useful today because so much has changed in the way we manage money, but, but the content itself is very, very rich. Highly recommend that book. Yeah, the two kingdom that he talks about yep. in there. Is yep, cool. yep. Great, great influence in, in, in what we've put together. So, um, yeah. oh, that's neat. I didn't, I didn't I really. I was not expecting good old <laughs> Earl Pitts, but um, yeah, uh, that is a great book. Well, mm-hmm. and my, the next question, it kind of goes. Well, I don't know if it goes with that or not, but it's kind of an unfair question, I think. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you don't have to answer if you don't want to. But the statement, no, God no, no, owns it all. What does that mean to you? And can, mm. can you give an answer in less than five minutes? <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'll tell you a quick story that really. Yeah. So I, I've I've learned this this principle of God owns it and I'm a steward um, probably for the last 14 years, and I've been trying to practice it. Meaning that I try to remind myself all the time, it's not mine. Every time I'm tempted to be worried about money or worried about not having enough or how I'm going to spend, what I'm going to keep, what I'm going to give, I always go back to the ownership question: wow. Who owns it? Is it really mine? So I would say, you know, the way I would answer that, the way what it means to me is that it literally means everything. Now, I say that, but it's harder to practice. So I'll give you an example of yeah. here, here I am, a stewardship pastor for about nine years. Um, when, when this thing happened, uh, I'm going to tell you a story that happened that, that took me to another level of understanding God's ownership. Um, uh, my wife and I bought, uh, purchased a real uh, rental property a few years back. And I was uh, meeting with a volunteer to actually create some content. And one of the things we talked about is this ownership stewardship, um, you know, uh, issue. And and I, I was telling this volunteer, I said, his name is Dave. And I said, Dave, I said, if people just understood this issue of stewardship, you know, they would stop worrying because if they're not an owner, an owner worries about, you know, their business or their house or their whatever. Whereas a steward just comes in, punches in, punches out. And when they leave, they go home. They don't take that burden of ownership with them. So I'm explaining this to him, and I kid you not, in that moment, I got a text 
that came in through my phone, which was on the desk in front of me. And I started reading it, you know, as you do, you kind of scan it. And it was a text from my wife telling me that one of our tenants um, that had just paid the rent, that the rent uh, had bounced, you know, the check had bounced. And of course, of course, I'm, you know, I'm starting to go down a path. Oh my goodness. You know, she knew it wasn't going to clear. She wrote me the check anyway. Uh, it was, you know, it's going to cost me money. She's probably already left the place and left it a disaster. So I'm just going down this trail and, 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 you know, and I'm anxiety's building up. My pulse is raised to raise. And this, this, this friend of mine, this volunteer, he's talking, right. And I'm not hearing a word. And, uh, and all of a sudden the Holy spirit, literally as if he was in the room, he said, Hey, what are you doing? And and I started to try to explain to him what was happening. And he said, he said literally, he said this to me. He said, "If I want to lose money on my property, what is that to you?" Wow. And I thought, wait, wait a minute. I've just been talking about ownership, and I just acted like a total owner of this property. And the funny thing is, when we bought the property, we were actually saving up money in order to give. We felt like the Lord was saying, store it aside and I'll tell you what to do with it later. And we thought it was to give it away. But when the money had gotten to about thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000, the Lord said, okay, now I want you to take it and buy this property. And I want you to take all the proceeds of the, from the property and give it away. And I'll guide you on how to do that. And, I, and, and so it was a way for God to increase our giving, but not, you know, not this one-time giving, which we had done for years. And uh, so... Understand, we, we hadn't taken a dime from the property in like three and a half years we owned it. So in essence, I wasn't acting like an owner. I wasn't taking any of the money. But, but in that moment, I acted like a total owner because I'd started to take on the burden of ownership instead of just saying, God, this person hasn't paid. What do you want me to do? You know, I should have I just asked the master, right, the owner, what I should do. But here's the point of the story. In that moment, I learned a greater lesson about ownership that I could have learned from anything else. Because in that moment, I acted like an owner. I took on the burden and the anxiety and the fear that came with ownership. And, and I realized I am not qualified to be an owner. I can't do it with, a, with peace, and, and, you know, but God can, right? He knows everything, so he can do it. And I just repented in that moment, and then I had to tell my volunteer, this is what just happened. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, we both gained a little, a little deeper perspective on what wow, ownership that's really is. That's so hard yeah. to learn. Uh, it is, and God gives us opportunities to continue to learn it. So I, continually, I continually fail and, and uh, continually learn, I guess, but probably don't learn well enough. But that, that's, yeah. that's a neat, neat story. Well, let me add one more thing to it, if I can. Yeah, sure. Uh, so here's the thing. If, 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 it's truly, if it truly means that everything, that ownership means that God owns everything, then it also means that, doing it, that we need to do it God's way, right? Because he's the owner. He's the one who gives instructions. So what that means to me is that I put God first. That means that I tithe the first of my increase. Whatever God gives me, a tenth of that automatically goes to where I get spiritually fed, and that's my home church. Uh, and then, uh, then I give and manage the rest by his principles and his voice. So that's what ownership is to me. Is I put God first, I do it his way, and I manage according to his leading in my life. It's not something I do automatically because I know what to do. It's something I ask him you know, continually try to have a conversation with him about. And that's whether I increase my lifestyle, whether I stay where it's at, whether I move, you know, whatever I do, I try to always, always make it a God decision, not a me decision. Wow. That's, uh, that's inspiring. Um, uh, I know, I wish we all could, I know we wish that we could, you know, 
follow that, that closely. That, that really mm-hmm. is. Um, I, well, I don't always do it right, but that's that's my intention every time. <laughs> so, and maybe we'll we'll drop down to the the last question. More of a yeah. fun question is, um, you know, Matthew nineteen, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he's he's basically lived a in his terms a great life, but he's obviously rich and. Um, Jesus tells him to give away all his money, and he goes mm-hmm. away sad. What do you What do you think happened to? Him? Well, I don't know. I tell you this: uh, the Bible is very clear regarding the story is that the rich young ruler went away sad or sorrowful, um, but we don't know exactly what what happened down the road. So all we're giving is just that passage of scripture. Um, what we do know is that he didn't immediately go and do as Jesus had suggested. In fact, he went away sad, right? Because he had many possessions and found it hard to do it. So whether he, he did sell, couldn't he? <laughs> What's that? Didn't, he could have gone and, and he could have. Oh, could've. absolutely. In fact, some some of the commentators do say that they believe that uh, um, it was uh, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, the one who actually, right. uh, you know, uh, whose uh, burial uh, ground or a cave or whatever uh, Jesus used. So so it is possible. That is certainly my hope, but we don't know. Um, you know, here's what's important about this story, though. Uh, is what it communicates to us. Uh, obviously, there was a reason the man asked the question in the first place. You know, this man had great wealth, yet he was concerned about his position in the kingdom of God, which which is really neat because you think, here's a guy who's wealthy, but yet he came to ask a question that was more of a spiritual question. He was concerned about something. So there was a there was a lack of assurance and peace in his life, which is evident by ask, him asking the question. So remember that people in those days, generally speaking, believed that wealth was a sign of being righteous and blessed. So we know this because of the response of the disciples when Jesus said it's easier for you know a man to uh, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a man to a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, I believe that you know the disciples were thinking if the blessed and righteous, meaning the wealthy, uh, can't save uh, can't be saved, then you know who can be saved? So what the scripture reveals to us though is that, and the story is that on the Outside, anyone can appear righteous, but the true measure God uses is the condition of the intentions of the heart. Um, this man loved his position in life and his wealth. You know, I, I believe he knew something was wrong, but didn't know what. In asking the question, he was trying to justify himself and feel good about his life. Uh, and he thought he was following the letter of the law, not committing murder, not you know all of that. Uh, but yet I believe that there was something miss- missing in his, in his life. And that's why he engaged Jesus, because he wanted to make sure that he was okay with God, uh, which is an interesting thing because I think most of us who live in the Western Hemisphere and have wealth, and we are considered the rich, um, no matter how much stuff we have, uh, there's always that feeling of, you know, this isn't this isn't really fulfilling my life. I may have moments of joy and happiness, but ultimately the only true joy that's satisfied, no matter what condition in life, position in life I have, is my relationship with God. And I think... I think that's what this young man was looking for, um, but he didn't realize that, that wealth was actually in the way of that. And my hope is, like you, that at some point he repented and that he did, uh, you know, divorce himself from it. Whether he gave it all away or not, that's really not the point. It's whether he was married to it and depended on it rather than depending on God. Yeah, I think it's a very convicting story. That's why I root for him because I'm rooting for myself. But I, <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. <laughs> So, um, well, I appreciate the time, Leo. That, that's fascinating stories and some uh, great nuggets of wisdom in there. And uh, uh, hopefully we can do it again. I wish you the best of uh, 
continued success uh, with the ministry, with the people uh, at their gateway. And mm-hmm. Thank um, you. I just also want to remind everybody that that, that uh, we have more uh, information on our website, including a we're getting ready to put on there a uh, individual uh, course that you go through this the Sabbath economics and stewardship coaching that we've been talking about. But again, mm-hmm. Leo, I, I really again thank you for the time. Thank you everybody for listening, and uh, until next time. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Leo. Really All appreciate right. the time. All right. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to another Stewardship Matters podcast of William F. Robertson and Associates. To pursue this discussion further, please look to the resources on our website, www.wfrplanning.com. Our contact information can be found on the website, and we would love to hear from you. Securities offered through Genios Wealth Management Incorporated, member of FINRA and SIPC. Advisory service offered through Genios Wealth Management.